Hi, this is Ian Harvey, Tokyo US Brand Manager. I'm here with Barry McCarowitz. Barry is a four-time individual world masters champion. He's also retired after having been a firefighter, firefighter paramedic with the Salt Lake City Fire Department for 27 years. Barry has won in the past the Yellowstone Rendezvous Ski Marathon. He was fifth in the Boulder Mountain Tour. He won the Snow Mountain Stampede. He's been a top 30 Berkey finisher a few times. He is currently 59 years old. He's been a Toco Tech Team member since 2000. He's been kind of a racing legend in the Western United States. Um, he's carried the nickname The Lung for obvious reasons. Barry wrote a book with his wife, Laura, who was a very successful bike racer and continues to be very successful. The book was called Triumph, Tragedy, and Tedium about his experiences with firefighting. He's got two adult children, which are out of the house currently. And he's also one of my longest and best and closest friends. So thanks for being with me, Barry. Thanks, Ian. Good to be here. That's probably the longest introduction I've done out of all these uh, <laughs> videos, introductions, all these interviews. So congratulations on that, if oh, nothing else. I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Barry, I wanted to start with asking you the question, how and when you got into Nordic skiing and Nordic ski racing? I started pretty late uh, as a early to mid twenties person. Um, so I, I didn't ski as a kid and uh, I mainly did it to keep in shape for, I was a bike racer and triathlete in those days. So I would do skiing in the winter time just to stay fit and do something different. And where did you live? Well, I grew up in Connecticut and moved to Utah when I was 21. And I've lived there ever since in Salt Lake City. Uh, so you know, Connecticut didn't have great skiing. Um, and it took me a while to get into track skiing in, in Utah. I did a lot of backcountry skiing before that. So you started Nordic skiing after you moved to Utah and lived in Utah. Was there a group or anyone that helped mentor you or teach you the ropes? Uh, I had some people that I admired and, um, yeah, taught me some things like John Alberg, Tori Craftson. Um, these are guys who were great skiers, multi-sport athletes. Um, Sean McCabe, he was, he was a good one to learn from, but I, I never had a formal teaching or coaching. But when I mean when you actually were getting into cross-country skiing back in your early 20s, mid-20s, did you just kind of buy some equipment and show up at the track and thrash around and try to figure it out? Or was, was there anyone that, that kind of guided you a little bit or befriended you? Uh, no, I was, I was pretty much on my own. Um, I had a few bike racer friends and we would just go and ski and uh, – thrash around like you said <laughs> yeah I, I did not have any formal coaching or training the first time I believe I saw you on a pair of skis was in 1996 I believe it was at a Wasset Citizen Series race how long had you been skiing before that do you think uh probably I had started eight to ten years prior to that but it was very uh casual 
it was not uh, important to me at that time. So it was just something to do to keep keep in shape in the winter. Okay. Because uh, that particular day, um, I did a 15K mass start with you and a bunch of other fast athletes. And I remember thinking, I wasn't in very good shape. We just had a child. It's what, that was what I called the fat year. <laughs> it was after we had our first child. You know, I gave myself a, a pass. Um, I've been doing that year. Well, anyway, um, we skied the first lap together. And I remember thinking I, I need to watch myself because uh, I didn't believe that I was the least bit fit. But I was still, you know, I had a lot of residual fitness. But remember, what I remember thinking was, damn, I'm either skiing really badly or I've got really slow skis or this guy is unbelievably fit because I couldn't believe that we were skiing together with the way that you were skiing. Yeah, I was, it was pretty rough back then. Yeah, and then, of course, since then, you've gone on to be a very good technician, even fitter, I think, than you were, which says a lot because you were darn fit. Um, you know, I mean, you're a true professional, one of the most successful master's racers that we ever had in the country. I mean, super successful, but um, I, I was, it was an interesting thing for me to consider your progress as a master's racer or a Nordic skier who started later in life and how, when I saw you that particular day and where that was in your progression, because it was fascinating to me to see. Yeah, I wish I had started earlier for sure and uh, got some coaching would have uh, improved the learning curve a lot. And I probably could have skied in college had I started earlier, which I, one of the few regrets that I have is just that didn't start soon enough, but sure, that's, that's the way it goes. You, at the time, you reminded me of myself when I was swimming. I swam for a little while to, you know, to balance things out, but also because of injuries, but I swam for a while. And I remember probably 15 times I've gotten out of the pool and someone was kind of looking me up and down, just kind of staring at me. And I'd be like, kind of looking at them like, what's up? And they'd say, Dan, you must be really strong. <laughs> <laughs> and what that always meant was, it was a backhanded compliment. What they meant was I was really damn strong, but what they meant was you swim horribly. And because of that, you must be damn strong because you were going pretty fast and making a lot of waves and, and that's what I was thinking about you back in the day. But I don't think that anymore. Now I know you're strong, but you ski very well. Well, it's been a process. And, uh, yeah, a long, slow learning curve. and Pretty much all self-taught. So Sure. Well, you, you ski very, very well now. Even the nuances of, of elite Nordic ski racing, you've, you've, uh, you're on the cutting edge of. So I think you can feel good about that. Well, thanks, Ian. Sure. Barry, um, how many world masters have you gone to? So not individual races, but, you know, years. I think five, starting with McCall in McCall, Idaho. So I know you did McCall in Twin Cities, and you did one in uh, Switzerland. Did you do Norway and Canada? Uh, in British Columbia, Sovereign Lakes, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time I won a race, and uh, and then went to Switzerland, uh, Minnesota, and then Norway a you year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. 
So um, I'd love to hear about the charm and challenge of racing them in Europe compared to in the United States, and also just an overall impression of the World Masters competitions. I, at first, was, uh, I didn't think that much about the mass, World Masters ski racing when I was a little bit younger. I, I just, it wasn't a big priority for me. The first time I went and did it, though, I thought, wow, this is, this is high-level skiing, and I changed my tune. I really wanted to uh, try to excel at, at some of these races. And um, the, the competition is amazing, really quite, quite good. Uh, the guys in my group, they're really fast. Um, some of them are former World Cup skiers and national team skiers, and they take it seriously. And so it's, it's uh, strong competition. And the races that I've gone to, the countries I've gone to, it's been awesome. Uh, Switzerland in particular was a real highlight. Uh, and John Downing from the American Cross Country Skier uh, Association puts together these trips for the American contingent. And it's, you can sign up for the travel with him if, if you like and awesome trips. He, he is a super organized guy and knows what he's doing and puts together a great trip. So you can, you can uh, sign up for the trip and the hotel food, everything would be arranged and paid, uh, paid for in one lump and uh, really fun stuff and meet a lot of good people from all over the U S. Yeah. I know um, you've done World Masters in the United States twice, as well as in Europe, and, and then you also mentioned Canada. Uh, not to minimize the United States competitions, but the competition when it's held in Europe is clearly much stiffer. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you get more Northern Europeans, I think. Um, it's just less distance for them to travel and they just seem much more willing to go to a European country than to come over to North America. Yeah. And yeah. And, uh, so this, the, the competition would be steeper, stiffer, uh, deeper, you know, the fields would be definitely deeper and harder because you're skiing on their terrain and, and in their backyard. Um, I think they're way more comfortable there and, it all adds up to an advantage that they have. So is there a, a world master's experience that you'd like to relate? I think that you think people will be interested in hearing? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I was racing in British Columbia the first time at Sovereign Lakes in the first race of the series, it was a 30 K skate and our lead group was, uh, about eight or nine skiers, and I didn't know anybody except for Kent Murdoch, the other American, who's, who's a really good skier and a good friend, and I enjoy uh, competing with him. But I'm at the back of the, the train, and I thought, you know, I, I want to move up. I, I'm a little too far back. And so luckily, I think it was Kent, who was right in front of me, moved out and started skiing up alongside the train. And so I just got on his tail. And we're moving forward and this Russian guy just skis right across my skis and we both crash 
and I get up really fast and he's got a broken pole and he wants, he's like motioning for me to give him his pole. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, no way. And then he tries to grab it as we're skiing to get back up to the group. He's trying to take my pole as if uh, the crash was my fault and I broke the pole on purpose or something. Anyway, I just thought, wow, this is not like a citizen race. This is, this is a whole different ball game. So, um, yeah, it's, it's more aggressive and uh, fiercer, I would say. It's not quite like the citizen races we do here. Here's a question that you might not want to answer, but how confident are you in the cleanliness of the field, especially in the European hosted World Masters events? Uh, you mean in terms of doping? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I am certain that some of these guys, even my age, still do it. Um, my opinion and, too, absolutely. Yeah, and I think certain countries are probably more prone to that. Um, and I, I know of a guy who uh, won the races in McCall, Idaho, from Italy, and he later got busted at some big European race. And it, so it, it's, it made sense to me where he skied phenomenally well, and uh, eventually he gets busted for, for doping. And um, it, there was no mystery there after that. Yeah. So. But it's, it's only hearsay. They, they don't really test the skiers in these competitions. But it, it's not that hard to uh, identify some really outrageous performances. Says the four-time World Masters champion. <laughs> <laughs> I have never doped. <laughs> and I, I don't see the point, you know, when you get to be this age. Uh, it would be just ridiculous. But, I agree. But also, I would say at this age, doping makes the biggest difference. That's probably true. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, so I guess if you really wanted to do it, it would make a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Barry, have you got a favorite race experience? Maybe something from a relay, which I know is a lot of fun um, that you'd like to relate? Ah, the, those relay races at the World Masters are, are super fun. It's usually the, the best day of racing out of the whole week. And I've been lucky enough to be on a couple winning relays with uh, three or four of the same guys. And uh, just the, the camaraderie and the uh, pride, national pride of racing with just three other Americans against a team from each country is it's really really fun i know you did it in in uh, mccall and i think you enjoyed it oh it was one of my most favorite most enjoyable races ever yeah, yeah. the relay is the best so if you get a chance to be on those teams definitely do it um so uh racing with kent murdoch and uh odd swenson and elon Beitch. Those are good guys. Uh, yeah, good strong fun. guys too. Yeah, super strong, super fun. Uh, we had a couple winning relays and yeah, I loved it. Cool. 
Barry, you've been in the TOCO tech team since 2000. A lot of people don't know what that is, but there are a lot of duties uh, involved in being in the TOCO tech team. One is you formulate race wax tips. A lot of people think I do the race wax tips. I do one now and then on an, like at the Berkey or at the Boulder or at some local races now and then. But for the most part, the TOCO tech team members formulate and communicate race wax tips. So that's one thing you do. Um, you also show up, for example, at local races with a tent, a workbench, vices, wax boxes, an easel, set everything up, help people to have a good experience at the race, whatever that means, communicating the wax tip, helping people with their problems. One aspect of this is the sleepless nights. I think a lot of people don't understand this, but I certainly do because I've had tons of them. Can you tell me about the, the sleepless nights that um, being on the Toco Tech team might bring? Uh, yeah, but first of all, I would like to point out that you started this Toco Tech team in 1999? Yeah, or 2000, yeah, that winter, yeah. Yeah, and that, that was brilliant because it was an original idea. I don't think anybody had tried that before. No. And it was a great tool for uh, teaching people and helping people wax their skis. And uh, we, as a, as a group, it's what, about 30, 35 people nationwide? Yeah. The team. Yeah. Uh, it's been a great tool to uh, get in touch with skiers, educate them about prepping their skis and promoting skiing as well as Toko, of course. Um, so anyway, kudos to you. I thought it was a great idea and that's one reason why I've stayed involved for almost 20 years. Yeah. And the major push from, from my side to the team is helping people have positive experiences. It's not necessarily a, you know, pushing toko kind of a thing, but rather, because I think that would take the fun out of it. For the most part, it's what I try to think about anyway is helping people. And I yeah. think that's why the toko tech team members have also responded so positively because we've got very experienced and knowledge people on the team who also part of their character is they enjoy helping people. And I think that's a, a key attribute that I look for when finding Toko Tech team people. Yeah, you've picked some really great, outgoing, smart, uh, progressive people. And that, that's been a big reason for the success of the team. And another thing that you offered to me and sold me on when you threw that Toko Tech team idea out was that you could teach me how to wax my skis and prep them to be faster. Because I don't know if you remember, but besides having really rough technique, I also oftentimes didn't have very good skis. Which and, I profited from many times, yes. <laughs> In head-to-head -head racing. <laughs> well, yeah. But hopefully I've gotten a lot. I know I've gotten way better at that, uh, prepping yeah. the skis. So, you know, I learned a lot. It was a great learning experience for me. Um, yeah. And I've... I've I've really enjoyed transferring what I've learned a lot from you and the people that you've uh, brought in to teach us as team members um, and different lessons of all sorts like weather and um, you know ski structure, ski flex, things like that. Uh, so I've learned a lot and I really enjoy passing that along to the, the people that I associate with and meet at the ski races and, and that I also teach uh, when I teach skiing. 
Tell me, please, about the care and even possibly anxiety that goes with formulating and being responsible for a TOCO race wax tip, of which you're responsible for very many over the course of a winter. Yeah. Um, when your name goes on that wax tip, there's, there's a little bit of pressure there to get it right. And because uh, these are looked at by hundreds, if not thousands of people, you know, a big race like the Boulder Mountain Tour, there's a lot of people looking at your recommendation and they know, uh, yeah, this guy, Barry, he, this is what he thinks. <laughs> so there is uh, incentive to get it right. And we, we, over the years, have practiced really hard to learn what the local conditions are. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I feel quite responsible for giving the best recommendation possible. And uh, a lot goes into these recommendations. You start looking at the weather and, and the forecast a week or even more prior to the event. And, and uh, just a lot of attention and focus goes into putting that wax tip together. And in most cases, you're actually at, at the venue testing as well in the days before the event. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, several days ahead sometimes for a big race and you're checking out the snow in different parts of the course, the conditions, the snow quality, uh, thinking about dirt in the snow, sun versus shade, uh, what the grooming, what that's gonna be like. These are all considerations that go into these wax tips that uh, people might not realize. There's, there's a lot there. And I know even for a local race, if you're not able to get to the venue, you'll oftentimes email me or Jason Travis and ask if we have been there and what the conditions are like, or if we could go there and report to you if you're responsible for the tip. And I think that's been effective, but I just want people to know about the care that goes into these and the sense of responsibility each person who formulates the wax tip has, because there's a big finger pointing at them if, if, if it's good or bad, regardless, you feel it. Right, yeah, you don't want to blow it and uh, ruin a number of people's races because they, they will <laughs> let you know about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, we collaborate quite a bit between uh, the local Toko guys and girls in, in my area and you, we share information all the time and, and that, that just helps, yeah. Is there something you'd like to relate regarding um, key principles that you've learned about waxing or ski preparation that you think the public would really benefit from hearing as, perhaps as regards to Toka Tech team or I don't know, but just something you'd like to share? Well, my philosophy has always been to try to keep it simple. And um, I'm happy if my skis in an event are like in the running, you know, not necessarily the fastest, which is, would always be great, but uh, just to make them be competitive. Uh, and that's what I have in mind usually when I write the wax tips, I'm pretty conservative and we'll go with something I'm sure will be, reasonably sure will be uh, good and competitive, not necessarily the very fastest uh, 
concoction possible because if you're aiming for that that final one percent uh there's a good chance you, you won't make it and you might screw it up does that make sense yeah absolutely so and i think toco as a brand as a wax line lends itself very well to that strategy and it's simple it's easy to understand i've learned it uh and feel really comfortable with the Toka products so it's it's a no-brainer for me it's easy to to feel confident and good about what I'm using and what I'm recommending with that philosophy which I agree with I mean if you start with skis and you're looking at base material in some cases but for the most part you're looking at flex of the ski and then you look at the structure and you take a good look at the structure make sure your structure is where what it should be and then finally you go to the wax and then you hit the wax as, as you just described, more than likely you can have absolutely fantastic skis. And, and if your skis don't necessarily match the conditions or your structure doesn't match conditions, clearly if you're going for in the wax to try to make it up, you're screwing up and you're putting the emphasis in the wrong thing. That, that kind of basic framework you'd agree with very much, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you gotta start with a, a ski that fits you and is good in the conditions that you predominantly ski in the flex and then you know that's that can't be changed the ski is what it is and then like you said the structure is something that you can change occasionally or add a little bit of hand structure but if if the skis are bad or or they don't fit you the wax is is not going to make make that up so. Yep, for sure. Okay, um, I'd like to switch gears a bit here and talk about training. Um, you've got a long history of, of training at a very high level, and I think your understanding of probably the principles of physiology, but what you need to do and what other people need to do in order to get to a high level of fitness and preparedness for ski racing, I think your understanding that is very high. So I'd like to pick your brain a bit, and I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing your opinions on training. So yeah. first question would be, you've had a lot of experience and success as a master's athlete. What do you think that master's Nordic ski racers should prioritize in their training? Well, uh, we've talked about this before, and, and you know my uh, passion or, or what, something I believe in deeply is uh, – strength and overall muscle strength and and so i i practice strength training a lot and um i think that's where skiers in general would get the most bang for their buck master skiers in particular um a lot of people will say oh i hate the weight room i hate lifting weights but it's if you can embrace it you the gains you can make i think with strengthening are uh yeah like i said the the most benefit for the time spent so let's drill it down a little bit you're talking about pick a time of year that you'd like to talk about like maybe october or september yeah like this time of year i think being 
in the weight room at least twice a week or doing some type of organized strength training a couple times a week is crucial and um, work on uh, explosiveness if possible. And, and let's drill it down to making specific recommendations. So let's say you're going to the weight room twice a week. What exercises are you doing and with what emphasis? Well, uh, I always concentrate on core strength. So uh, sit-ups, planks. Um, I have a series of different exercises that I like to do for myself. One involves like a, the physio ball, the big round um, blow-up ball, doing V-ups. Familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anything that works your core muscles and, and to strengthen that, because I think that's key for skiing. And, do you do anything for hip stabilization? Uh, side planks or yeah. band work, lateral band work, anything like that? Side planks for sure. Um, and I'll, I'll say lay sideways on the back extension machine and work. The, the obliques and sides of my body. Um, but your hip rotators are worked with slide side planks. When you do your side plank, do you ever lift one leg up, make it even doubly hard? Yeah, yeah. Stick that arm up, stick and raise that leg on that side also. Yeah, so that works. That works your hip strengthens your hip rotators powerfully. Yeah, and that's an area where I I concentrate a lot on because that's. I would consider it my problem area. Lower back and hips are very uh, tight. And if, if I'm having issues, it's usually there. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, core strength is, is huge. Uh, I practice it at least twice a week. What other exercises do you do on your, on your weight room days? Do you do like Olympic weightlifting exercises or, um, you know, pull-ups, dips, the, the, the classic ski exercises, but and tell me about what you're recommending and doing. I think my go favorite go-to exercise is with the Olympic bar doing thrusters, where you go, the bar's at your chest, go down to a front squat, so the bar's in front, and then all the way up overhead in one continuous motion. Explosively. So explosively, yeah. So you're driving with your legs, and then following it up with the press over your head and just keep repeating that. Mm. And I, I love that exercise. I usually shoot for about two thirds body weight on the bar with the bar. Uh, and if I can pump out six to 10 reps, that's, that's ideal. And I'll do probably four sets of those. The first set is always just kind of a warm up with maybe just the bar and the weight. Uh, get your rhythm and position dialed in before you start adding the weight on. So that's one of my favorites. Uh, any kind of uh, leg strengthening stuff, lunges, uh, really good. Weighted side lunge where you stand and then go sideways, holding like a 10-pound weight straight out, and then come back straight up standing and try to balance on one leg. So you're incorporating some balance exercise and explosiveness by pushing off with that, that leg that's out to the side. 
side lunges or lateral lunges. That's a really good one. Um, and then the double pole exercise. I don't have a ski erg, but there's a machine at the gym where I go where I can pull down on two cables and really simulate good, strong double pole work and uh, really focus on that as we get closer to the ski season. So outside of your two visits to the weight room a week, which includes the exercise we just talked about and core work, do you do any specific strength on roller skis? Um, you said you don't have a ski erg and don't use a ski erg or an extra genie, but roller skis or skis, do you do specific strength work on skis? Uh, yeah, double pole, try to uh, double pole up steep terrain. I do have a, uh, Extra genie, by the way. Do you use it? Not as much as <laughs> I, I prefer the the cable machine in the gym. I can really um, reef on that. Cool. But uh, skiers, they must be awesome. You've got one, right? Yep. Just finished a workout on it. Yeah. How long can you stand to work out on it? That's an interesting thing. I think that's an individual question. Um, my opinion is the skier does a lot of postural damage to the body <laughs> in other words it it shortens the muscles that create bag backs and slouch shoulders and all the problems that skiers might have because of repetitive use what so if i do that i do diagonal and i do double pull and if i do diagonal then i think it's much more healthy and that works more the lats and especially the triceps it isolates the triceps but doing double pull really hard for extended lengths of time. I did a 40 minute time trial five days ago. Wow. That will, that makes, gives me a tight lower back and it gives me SI joint problems, huh. but it also makes me really strong. So um, I find I have to do a whole lot of body maintenance when I do skier that I don't think I would have had to do if I was, when I was 30, not even, I wouldn't have to think about it. But now I do a lot of work on a foam roller, trying to reopen my chest and try to um, stretch my hip flexors and a lot of that kind of work to try to undo all the shortening of muscles um, that I just did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, so my answer is basically, I can do a lot of it, but I have to undo a lot of the work that I did in terms of the minus. Yeah. Do you ever find that when you're doing a lot of dull pulling, for example, do you have to lie on the foam roller and open up your chest and bring your shoulders back, you know, stretch your pecs? Yeah, and, and the lower back too uh, bothers me with too much double pull. So does your lower back bother you because of your dull pull technique, which is almost like doing a backup between uh, repetitions, or does your lower back bother you because it works so much at the front of your body and it shortens your psoas and your other hip flexors to the point where your lower back hurts because it puts pressure on your vertebra and so on. Uh, yeah, the latter. It definitely overemphasizes the front of your body and, and causes compression in my lower back. Much like sitting all day would. Yeah, yeah. Right? It has yeah. a similar effect to sitting yeah. all day. Yeah. So what do you do to undo that effect? Uh, I am, and this was part of one of the things that I recommend to most masters is stretch a lot. 
every day. Make it a priority and know where your weak spots are and use those, those aids like a foam roller or some kind of hard uh, ball to um, work on specific small areas. And regarding your lower back specifically, because I think that's a, quite a common issue, what stretches or body maintenance type things can you do to relieve that? Uh, I just will lay on my back and fold my legs up to where my knees are by my ears to stretch my lower back. Um, that works for me. The foam roller a lot. Uh, and ice. I use ice packs daily. On your lower back? Yeah. And what about any kind of hip flexor release or stretch? Uh, I'll do the hurdler stretch, lay back with my foot tucked under my butt, and uh, the foam roller. Really work it into my uh, hip flexor area. So as uh, that's, that's best for me. I've been using a PVC pipe for that purpose for the last 10 years because I haven't found a foam roller that gets deep enough. So I just cut a PVC pipe and put some athletic tape around it. Wow. And that for my quads and hip flexors. And it, for me, it does a much better job. A foam roller is not hard enough to get a release, especially on my rectus femoris. I find my rectus femoris gets extremely tight from double pulling and skating. Um, I use that evidently a lot. And it's so strong and so thick, a foam roller doesn't get into it enough. So that's what I use, a PVC pipe, and it really works well. Yeah. Well, I have one that I bought. It's, it's PVC, but wrapped with, oh, about this much foam. Uh, it's called the grid, I believe. Yeah. It's yeah. a pattern in the foam. And that, that's pretty firm and works for me. Yeah, I yeah. use straight PVC with uh, basic hockey tape on it, super thin. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's pretty harsh, Ian. That's, that's not a lot of patch. <laughs> well, but I only use it pretty much on my quads and get my rectus femoris and hip flexors in my quads. Other than that, I, I rarely use it, but I find it's really important for me to do that. Otherwise, my hip flexors get so shortened, I have back problems that I just can't move on from. You know, a lot of this is self-inflicted. Yeah. You know, we're not balanced athletes. Question for skiing is a healthy activity, but we use the front of our bodies so much that it, we need to soften that up and, and, you know, lengthen those, those key muscles that if we don't, they'll, they'll put a lot of pressure in the lower backs. So that's been my solution. Well, uh, that, that reminds me of the other thing that I tell people is uh, variety and cross training. Yeah. You know, as we get older, if you just stick with the same few exercises, you're going to just become crippled up. So I, I, I enjoy swimming, um, all kinds of bike riding. I can still run a little bit, which I love, but it's pretty hard on the body. Uh, skiing, of course, and, and then the weight lifting. So those, those I think variety, cross-training uh, are really, really important, as well as the stretching and flexibility work. Super. Yeah. And uh, just to finish how we started this, this uh, segment, work on the technique. Um, so for master skiers, 
strength training, cross training and variety and technique training uh, and refinement. Uh, that's where you're going to get the most benefits, I think. So if you can work with uh, somebody who knows what they're doing to advise you on technique, uh, video work is invaluable and just always be practicing and thinking about proper technique. I would agree. With me, I would even say you're, you're always in tip-top shape from my perspective. My fitness usually deteriorates through the winter as I work more and more and more and travel more and more. And at the end of the winter, I'm not nearly as competitive as I am in the beginning of the winter. Yeah. And then I kind of, mid-summer, I start to recover and, and start to make progress again. And then by the time winter rolls around, I'm usually in pretty good shape again. And what I've found is I ski differently in different parts of the year based on my fitness. In other words, in the spring, I ski less dynamic and more efficient. And in the fall, I ski more dynamic and for that reason, a little bit less efficient because I'm fitter. And so I think some master skiers might identify with that because I do think that technique, there's no absolute best technique for a person because that person changes and evolves over time. Some of, the, some of the best technique I've ever found has been when I've been in the worst fitness I ever had, and I had to make changes which improved my efficiency. And then as I became more fit, I was surprised to find how fast I was and efficient I was. So that's something I would also encourage is to don't find an absolute technique solution, but rather consider technique something that evolves as you evolve. Yeah, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And also to search out different opinions on, on what techniques and what you want to achieve. Um, I've, I've worked with some people who we just did not connect. You know, we, they would advise me to try this or that. And it just did not work for some reason or another. And then other times, uh, like Bill Hokinson, ski coach here, uh, would just say a few words like try this and it, it would make a it would click with me and and there'd be an automatic improvement I could just um, feel it right away oh yeah that's better for me so I would say get different opinions I do think that there's a key point about technique especially regarding master skiers but even at the elite level you can say you can look at let's say top 20 in a World Cup, and there are some fundamentals that are the same, but there's a lot of variety in the technique you'll find, even in the top 20 in the world. So, and, and part of that's personal style, but some of that personal style is based on strengths and weaknesses that people have. Yeah. Some people are stronger in some ways than other ways. Some people have a stronger upper body and a, and a weaker lower body. Some people are better at having a higher, a faster cadence or turnover whether other people ski more through their strength and with a slower turnover. Um, some people are heavier and ski heavier and some people are lighter and ski lighter. Yeah. You know, in terms of their touch and contact with the snow and because of it, they're better maybe in harder conditions and people are better in softer conditions. But the point is as master skiers, I think our strengths and weaknesses are even more varied compared to top world cup skiers. And for that reason, it only follows that there's even more variety that is optimal for each one of us as master skiers. So I think there's danger in trying to simply copy or emulate or, or listen to someone as 
as this being the gospel of technique, I think it's up to us to figure it out while listening to experts and considering. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So Perry, I have a question for you. Um, managing stress and staying healthy can be especially challenging for ski racers, much less masters racers, because you're balancing family, work, travel. You're usually tra maybe training at a, at a level that is perhaps too hard for your, your life, you know, all the different things you got going on. Do you have any tips for managing your training load, knowing when you're overtraining perhaps, or warning signs, anything like that? Uh, for myself, I know that I've overcooked it, oh, my, overdone it when I just don't have any pop. I don't feel dynamic on the skis. You know, everything is just a little bit slower. Uh, the push-offs are slow, and uh, the recovery—it uh, just feels like you're slowed down, like five or ten percent. So that, to me, is always an indicator that yeah, you need some rest and and to recover. Uh, the the big thing for me in terms of managing my life, family, work, and, and athletics is to be really organized and, and have a plan and but to be organized so you're not wasting a lot of time or energy. And I always have a paper in my pocket with my to-do list and I like to carry a pen and I, I can write things down uh, anywhere just when ideas pop into my head of what I got to do and the list helps me keep organized and not forget things so have you ever known that you needed to do a workout but then thought you know what my life has been stressful outside of skiing I feel okay but it seems like my life stress for whatever reason is to the point where I should probably take today off You've never done that, have you? <laughs> I never have, I don't think. Never? I don't believe, uh, you know, and if I've been stressed and tired and, you know, and I've, I've been like, you know, maybe I don't know if I should or shouldn't kind of a thing, but if I felt reasonably good, I would never, I don't think I've ever said, well, you know, I didn't sleep enough and I got an argument with the old lady last night or, I don't know, um, work stress or I don't know what, uh, because of that, I'm probably not able to do a workout today and keep it high quality or, or, or handle it. I don't think I've ever done that. I've, I've, I've felt tired before and skipped a workout, you know, yeah. because I thought I was doing the right thing. My question is, have you ever felt decent, but you look at the equation, you know, where maybe I'm arresting pulse rate is too high, even though I feel good, or maybe I didn't sleep enough, but I feel good. Or maybe I got all this work stress, but I feel good, but let's use some common sense. I'm going to take the day off. Have you ever done that, even though you feel good? I would say no. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> it seems like that's a luxury masters types don't have, even though right. it's common sense. Yeah, just you, you are pressed for time. And so if you have an opportunity you're not to, to get out and ski or train, you're not going to pass that up. And, and sometimes in those situations, it's almost cathartic to go out and pound out a workout and all the stress is gone and you feel good about life and you come home, you know, whistling. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really good point is the mental aspect of 
of the training and the exercise and the lifestyle, it, 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 it boosts you, me up. You know, I need that almost daily release of getting out and moving across the snow or the trail. Yeah. And that's a, a, how I dealt with the stress from my job and my career as a paramedic. Uh, sometimes we wouldn't get very good sleep at all on the job and then come home and be really tired. But if I went out for a run, uh, I would feel so much better. Yeah. It was mentally and physically refreshing. So here's a question. As a paramedic, firefighter, you obviously had um, low sleep and some work-related stress, obviously. And then on top of that, you were working out and traveling um, and racing, among other things. Do you have any stay healthy type tips? Uh, well, you know, of course, try to eat good food and get as much sleep as you can. But try not to stress too much about uh, the things that you can't control. You know, just you can only do so much and keep your priorities straight and um, try not to worry about the things that you can't control. That's that, that mentality, I think, I think when you engage in a fight or flight mentality, where you're kind of like running on adrenaline because there's some situation that's really ticking you off and you can't control it and it's important to you, that kind of a thing, I think that can suppress your immune system and create sickness in a short amount of time. I think so. Yeah. I agree. That's a ton of stress. You know, if you are just anxious all the time, uh, that builds up and uh, is detrimental for sure. Yeah, I agree. So as you know, I'm the Toco glove designer. And I like to ask people what their favorite Toco glove is and why. Well, uh, that's a pretty easy one. I like the Thermal Plus. Um, it's it's a warm glove, but it's not like super thick and heavy. Uh, and it looks nice. You have several different color options. And uh, I still maintain a good feel for the poles and the snow. Um, so that's, that's my favorite. I also like the classic too. It's a little bit thinner, uh, fits nicely on my hand. And so th those would be my two favorites. The classic for you would be more of a spring weight glove or yeah. a warm weather glove, racing glove. And the, um, you know, we'd never use the Profi, would you? Uh, if it's really warm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that for racing when it's, when it's pretty warm. Uh, I like to have it tight and feel the, the grip right close to my, hmm. my hand. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to surprise you with a question here. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were 18 years old? Oh, boy. Uh, I would say be patient. Learn, learn to be patient and... Uh, try to keep an even keel, hmm. not not get too excited or too too low about successes and and failures. Because 
it's a long process and enjoy the process. Uh, the final result is probably not as important as enjoying the process of, of getting to that goal. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Cause if you don't enjoy the process, if you don't like what you're doing, if every day it's, Maybe you should be shooting for something else. I, yeah. I don't know. This is kind of, it's not the same thing, but it's kind of related. But I found myself over the years, especially when I was younger, at the, close to the starting line or on the starting line, thinking, holy crap, what did I sign up for this? You know, kind of thing like, you know, <laughs> racing's hard and it's a little scary and it's painful as hell. And, you know, what am I doing here? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Like the last Boulder Mountain Tour I did, which I did real well in, but I remember thinking that exact thing at the starting line because I was thinking this race is going to be longer than I've skied in an entire year. What am I even doing here? And then inevitably I always answer the question with, hey, you're taking time off to be here. You've, this is your chosen activity that brings you balance in life and enjoyment. So enjoy it. Like tell that voice in your head to shut up and enjoy it because this is what you like to do for enjoyment. You know, it's kind of like, this is what I'd like the most, but at the, in the moment you can sometimes uh, not enjoy the moment because you get in your own way. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. I think that the memory of those experiences doing those things will last way longer than um, the, the goal that you had. Just the, the memories that you build during, during the process of, of training and being with friends is, is invaluable. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Barry, what's something about you that might surprise people if they were to find out? <laughs> you gave me this question last night and uh, I had to think about it, but about two or three times a year, I will have a Whopper at Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> so why? Why is it that you have the Whopper? I got to I gotta dive into this a little bit. Oh, it's great. You know, you got the flame broiled beef patty and the bun and tomato and it's really good. So I'll, I'll, tip, I'll typically get it on the way home from West Yellowstone from uh, fall camp or after the, the rendezvous. There's a, there's a place in Rexburg. So what is it that stops you from having a Whopper every day? Or after you have that first Whopper, you're like, man, that was good five, six days in a row, you know? Because inevitably, uh, 15 or 20 minutes after I eat it, I feel sick. <laughs> 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 I think, why did I do that? So, uh, yeah, that's why I only do it about twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think everyone's, uh, everyone understands what you're talking about. <laughs> so how about this one? Do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up in a few words? Uh, not really a mantra, but uh, as I said a, a, a little while ago, enjoying the process, whatever you do is, is, really important i think and i try to learn something from each event that i do you know i really think about it afterwards and think what did i learn there and uh try to appreciate and help 
other people. Cool. And I've seen you do that for decades. So super. Yeah. I enjoy coaching. I think that's one of the greatest teaching and coaching is, is a great thing to do. All righty. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I had for today. I hope that people find this interview uh, enlightening and informative. Barry's got a wealth of experience and success. And I think there's a ton to learn from. And some of the principles that he's outlined here, I think will serve anybody well. So I hope this, is, um, this comes over well. And I thank you for taking some time and hanging out with me today. And I also pre appreciate your friendship over the years. And I look forward to doing more with you this winter, I hope. Yeah, yeah thanks. This was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And it's good to see you on the screen. Uh, so take care. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, you too.